1: That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.
2: Hey WAG listeners, it's Allison reminding you that this show cannot be made without you. If you've been thinking about becoming a CanadaLand supporter, we're having a pretty great sale right now. You'll get premium ad-free feeds of all CanadaLand shows, discounts on merch from our store, and exclusive bonus episodes from some of our podcasts.
0: We want to make it as easy as possible for you to become a Canada Land supporter. So from now until the end of May, we have a special offer for our listeners. For $2 a month, you can become a supporter and do your part to ensure we can continue making this show. And we really like making
2: this show for you. Basically nothing costs $2 anymore. You could like get a bag of candy, a locker at a public swimming pool. I've been honestly trying to think of something that cheap and I'm not getting far. So
0: sign up for just $2 a month. For the next six months, just go to CanadaLand.com slash join or click the link in your show notes to become a supporter today.
2: So, Jonathan, how are you doing? Not great. Uh, I guess right now I'm
0: at home in, well, not a closet and in, in I guess a newly set up home office under a blanket. It's pretty warm. And I strongly suspect that by the end of this recording session, it's going to be much, much, much warmer. Uh, uh, how, are, uh, how are you doing?
2: I mean, I think I'm uniquely prepared for this work from home, uh, social distancing setup, up uh, as I have worked from home primarily for years. However, in the past week, both my couch and my toilet have broken. So uh, things oh, no. are things are slowly crashing down around me. But I'm glad to be talking to you about Doug Ford and and oh my God, uh, yeah. how our how our fair province is handling this COVID nineteen crisis.
0: Oh, well, I'm glad to be talking to you too, because I've had, I haven't been entirely pleased with the appraisals of Doug Ford's response, and uh, I'm glad to have an opportunity to sort of untangle my thoughts in your company, in your virtual company.
2: Doug Ford has been pretty unpopular during his time as premier, and on this show, we spend a lot of time scrutinizing and criticizing his policies, but his response to the COVID-19 pandemic has been lauded by a lot of people, including many who have been critical of him in the past.
0: So what does it mean to head into an unprecedented crisis with Doug Ford as your leader?
2: Let's figure it out. I'm Alison Smith, publisher of Queen's Park Today, reporting on Ontario politics from under a blanket.
0: I'm Jonathan Goldsby, news editor at Candleland, editing the news from under a blanket.
2: And this is Wag the Dug, a pop-up podcast popping up in our respective apartments.
1: That's Stamps.com. Code program.
3: Well, good morning, everyone. This morning, I've declared a state of emergency in the province of Ontario. We're taking this measure because we must offer our full support and every power possible to help our healthcare sector fight the spread of COVID-19.
2: So a new poll from ECOS Research shows that 64% of Ontarians approve of Doug Ford's handling of the COVID-19 crisis.
0: You know, even many of the usual pundits are more than a little impressed by Doug Ford's performance. The biggest political surprise of the COVID-19 crisis, Steve Pakin wrote, Doug Ford. Don't look now, but Ontario's premier is starting to impress.
2: Bob Hepburn from the Toronto Star uh, wrote that when Doug Ford stepped up to the microphone on Tuesday morning to declare a state of emergency in Ontario because of the coronavirus outbreak, he did so in a manner he hasn't displayed since becoming premier almost two years ago. He looked and acted like a real leader.
0: In all cases, these are like, you know, the running joke about, you know, today is the day Donald Trump became president. The idea that any time Donald Trump performs moderately presidentially in a speech by not going off script, uh, a number of pundits fall all over themselves to declare, okay, now he's finally established himself into the office, as though experience and history haven't shown that he will revert back to his natural state at the quickest opportunity. These columns might as well say, today is the day that Doug Ford became premier,
2: I mean, yeah, that's basically what the Bob Hepburn one says. Be that as it may, Ford has shown another side to himself. Over the past few days, he's lauded Prime Minister Justin Trudeau.
3: He, as far as I'm concerned, he's showing uh, good leadership as well.
2: Called himself a big fan of Deputy Prime Minister Christopher Freeland.
3: She's working around the clock. I'm a big fan.
2: He said the Toronto Star writes great articles.
3: Yeah, Star writes great articles.
2: (laughs) He's praised Labour leaders.
3: I want to give a shout out to the the Labour leaders. Uh, The labor leaders have been absolutely phenomenal stepping up to the the plate.
2: And this morning, the day we're recording, he sent out a a personal letter to the Queen's Park Press Gallery thanking uh, all the reporters and, and camera folk for their service. He said, often during challenging times like these, the people on the front lines forget to take care of themselves. I hope you're all taking the appropriate measures to make sure both your physical and mental health are taken care of. So, I think in a lot of ways, pigs are flying. I just
0: think there's a fundamental error in
2: mistaking
0: basic competence with some extraordinary or special ability or talent. He's doing an okay job, which is frankly the minimum we should expect from a political leader. He's being basically competent. He hasn't actively made this crisis worse within the last week. He's displaying a gravitas that most people probably haven't heard from him, uh, at least since uh, his brother was was ill and passed away. I mean, that's actually the only other time I've heard him speak the way he has been speaking. You know, there's something to be said for positive reinforcement. Mm-hmm. <laughs> definitely, if if we like what we see, there's definitely, you know, say, good job, and hopefully we'll see more of that. But... I've I've had less and less patience for that approach with politicians over the years. And the fact is he's not at the moment an embarrassment, but a lot of it also serves to elide or erase or make us forget about all the things he's done in the past that may have or could have or would have exacerbated this crisis in some way. I mean, it's one thing to be in the middle of a crisis and to be able to respond with the appropriate tone. But I mean, a real leadership would have been, frankly, spending his previous years in government, caring for, preparing and growing those systems that were put in place to try to mitigate the effects of an almost inevitable event such as this. This crisis has prompted them to, like, literally pass legisl- new emergency legislation, undoing other legislation they did that, that made things worse for workers. And we get it; we can get into that later. You know, them having to on a you know on an emergency basis say, "Oh no, we're not going to go ahead with the cuts to public health that were on track to happen." Doug Ford has, in the past, actively mocked and minimized the role of municipal public health departments. Leadership would have been knowing what the role of these things, these elements of government, are for, not just assuming that there is some waste of money. I mean, he, you know, years ago he was slapped by in Toronto's integrity commissioner for criticizing the, the worthiness of Toronto's medical officer of health and questioning his salary. Because I don't think he fundamentally believes in public health departments. But in any case, like what I'm saying is, like, yes, it, it, it's it's fine to be basically competent and respond appropriately in a time of crisis, but to actually have been a good premier and to have done a good job would have been to have understood the systems that existed for the specific purpose of trying to get through something like this and not not having to scramble at the last minute to undo your own attempts to destroy them.
2: I think what we're seeing from the pundits and you know people on social media that are responding really well to, to Doug Ford right now is basically we're in this crazy moment where everything we know is up in the air. The future feels terrifying. In the last week and a half, we've closed schools almost indefinitely, we've closed the U.S.-Canada border, we've shut down all the legislatures, and I think people are scared, and there's a feeling that I'm not used to having, but have had a few times over the past little while, and that is seeing a politician on, you know, in front of a podium, you know, reassuring you and telling you that they're doing something in a calm and authoritative manner really carries a lot more power than it normally does be it Doug Ford or or Justin Trudeau or anyone else other than Donald Trump basically so i think it's not surprising that that people are having an emotional reaction to ford right now mm-hmm. because i think everyone's just looking for something
0: but that's kind of what his supporters feel All the time, right? Just the I, you know, that whole I'll take care of it. I'm looking out for you. I'm fighting for the little guy. Mm -hmm. I'm working for the Mm -hmm. people. It's looking towards that because you want a stable sense of leadership of someone looking out for you, and and in a time when I think we all crave that uh, uh, that kind of comfort. I think you you can get a sense of okay, this is what their supporters want from that, and get from and even get from that all the time. And so it certainly helps now that he'd know. He at least at the moment doesn't seem to be playing to a specific subset of his base, but seems to be doing what is in the broad public interest. Although there's certainly room to criticize that too, within that too.
2: Yeah, I mean, I wanted to talk about just a few, um, you know, communication flubs, I suppose, that have happened. So despite you know, despite this sort of uh, celebration of his performance. There have been a few questionable decision-making or or, uh, messaging. One is that on March 12th, which was the day that they closed the schools, I believe, Doug Ford told Ontarians to go away, have fun, enjoy yourselves on March break. It
3: can change. It can change uh, at any day. But I just want the families and, and their children to have a good time. Go away, have a good time, enjoy yourself
2: only to be contradicted later that day by the chief medical officer of health. We don't know whether people saw the premier say that on TV this that morning and, and you know, hopped on, a, hopped on a flight that afternoon. We do know that there are some Ontarians currently trapped in Peru that left for their trip on that exact date. There are some odd 4,000 Canadians stuck on 70 cruise ships that are just sailing around international waters right now. You know, we don't know whether his guidance led to that. And we can't really blame him, but its it was an example of him, and I think he's learned from this since, um, but of him not really recognizing the weight of his words. There's been a learning curve from the media that I think started that day, that all of a sudden, you know, the chief medical officers of health, be it the Ontario's or Toronto's, are kind of the ones making the rules now. They were the first ones that announced bars and restaurants were being shut down, not the province. Um, The province sort of followed up after saying yes, even though they had said no earlier that same day. So it's, it's been a little bit of mixed messaging. And I think Doug Ford has a reticence to standing up and giving a provinces where he says that we're closing down businesses. Which, I mean, fair enough, it goes uh, literally directly against his (laughs) tagline, which is open for business. So he he waited for Quebec to do a news conference closing non-essential businesses this week, and then he did his own. So it's not a disaster by any means, um, what he's doing, but it's not, I think, perfect either. The list
0: of businesses deemed essential by the province was published Monday night, Everything else, other, other workplaces should, by the time we listen to this, be closed. It is an astonishingly broad list. Mm-hmm. I'm sure there's, you know, decent rationale for most of this. But there are, you know, little things here and there like construction work and services, including demolition services, in the industrial, commercial, institutional, and residential sectors. Meaning condo construction can continue unimpeded. That seems bizarre, or, or at least surprising, and not without an immediately obvious rationale. I mean, there are definitely like what you sense as fingerprints of lobbyists here and there in this document.
2: Yeah, I mean, one example is Dollarama, which um, they are have been deemed an essential business because they sell, you know, cleaning supplies and food. And I don't really have any qualms with that in particular, um, more so than, you know, anything else or really this list in general. But Dollarama has registered a bunch of lobbyists last week to help them address the COVID crisis or, you know, some broad statement like that in the Mm. lobbyist registry. So businesses knew this was coming. And you better believe uh, every industry in the province, or at least the ones on that list, uh, had someone on the phone with with the Ontario government yesterday, trying to ensure that they are deemed essential.
0: Yeah, I mean, you, you know, if you have a car dealership, you can stay open. God forbid, you should not have a car, like a, a new car. I, I I don't know. Maybe there are reasons for these, but a lot of these definitely sound like. The products of uh, of phone calls by lobbyists to a, to an extent that uh, makes you question the validity of this whole enterprise. I mean, he listens to he listens to business. I mean, he knows that he, he's very proud of that fact. And that's when he was rolling back the liberal last previous liberal government's labor reforms. He you know just talked extensively about because he listened to business owners. He listen to this, you know, we talk to small business owners, talk to medium-sized business owners, talk to large business owners, they consider this bill a job killer. And that's why, you know, they, they got rid of the ban on requiring sick notes for employees, for example, something they had to, on an emergency basis, basically roll back just last week. It's why they got rid of you know, the, all the changes to sick leave, to paid and unpaid leave. The Liberals, toward the end of Kathleen Wynne's mandate, they passed some pretty good stuff, including pretty good reforms to uh, labor laws governing both paid and unpaid leave and sick leave. And, you know, Doug Ford saying, Oh, well, I to listen to business. Business is the job killer. They repealed that after just a few months into their mandate.
2: Well, worth saying that the Ontario Chamber of Commerce came out today. Uh, endorsing the the list of non-essential businesses. So those are the same folks you're talking about that did weigh in heavily on those labor Mm -hmm. laws. And maybe it's also worth noting that one of the other changes was Ford pulling back the increase to the minimum wage to be $15 an hour. And right now we're seeing you know, Loblaws is increasing their hourly rate by $2 an hour, you know, just to keep people like to have them show up at the job. And I guess to be nice also. But again, another measure that, that you know, could have been in place would have been a higher minimum wage. And, and now businesses mm-hmm. themselves are finding out they need that.
0: Why does it take an emergency to be able to, you know, to grant people paid sick leave.
2: I mean, I guess I'll counter that it seems like a lot of other provinces are not either. Um, in in British Columbia, again, they have a, uh, an NDP party in charge. And it turns out there didn't have a single day of paid sick leave guaranteed to anybody in the province up until this week. So uh, mm-hmm. I guess we're not the only ones that are behind. And I thought we were going to be nice today. Come on, Jonathan. Uh. <laughs> I'm kidding. We don't have to be nice. We yeah. do No, be no. Nice. I know. I <laughs>
0: know. Yeah, BC should have had it before. I mean, there's like the liberal, they, the NDP, BC NDP shouldn't have had to wait until now. It's like the liberals in Ontario shouldn't have waited until their last months in office after 15 years. But I think there's something especially galling and egregious about having made an active and successful mm-hmm. effort just a couple of years in the past to undo those specific things, such that you now have to redo the things you have undone. It's just like, I mean, the Ontario's government these days is like hitting Command Z and Shift Command Z or Command Z and Command Y back and forth, back and forth all the time.
2: In another big reversal, the teachers unions are uh, pretty much screwed out of any uh, labor power that they had over the province now that this pandemic has hit us. The government has thusly shut down schools, um, meaning that any weight the teachers had to uh, pressure the government to make a contract deal with them by keeping kids out of schools is completely nullified
0: and they have a contract or yes they, have a tentative they, they, they do so most of the
2: unions have F-O. have tentative agreements now we don't know what's in them. Uh, we don't know what concessions were made, but I guess we'll we'll find that out. Also, incredibly ironically, one of the main sticking points between the teachers and the, and the government was Education Minister Stephen Lecce's plan to make it mandatory for high school students to take online courses. For a while, it was going to be four per student to graduate. They dropped it down to two but now we're at a point where we we don't know when schools will open again, whether they will this entire school year. And the government's now pumping out online educational materials just so that, you know, the kids can learn something at all. So yikes. I guess uh, Leche really, mm-hmm. he he scored on this one. He it was uh, g- good timing, at least for him on that.
0: Yeah, good timing. He scored on this in as much as you could say that, like, Sam Neill and the kids scored on those Velociraptors just because they were fortunate enough to, you know, be rescued by the the T-Rex that smashed through the ceiling at the right moment. What happens when the virus inevitably gets itself into one of the many populations that our society already considers disposable? People are already subjected to conditions many of us would consider unsanitary, degrading, inhuman, particularly in most jails, in many homeless shelters, in certain First Nations reserves. You know, not surprisingly, these are the environments in which a virus would wreak unspeakable <laughs> havoc and could not be, probably could not be stopped unless we dismantled the systems, which, I mean, dismantling jails would be fr- fucking awesome. But I don't think, I unfortunately, <laughs> that, that that doesn't seem to be on the table in the immediate future. I mean, you know, their first step was to basically just ban visitors for, to jails.
2: They also have said that um, inmates that are on uh, sort of like temporary release programs that are like allowed to go, you know, to work for a few days a week or that sort of thing basically have to get to stop going into the jails at this point because they don't want people coming leaving coming back and like people cycling through they also this didn't get a lot of coverage but uh sylvia jones the solicitor general said in a news release that this was going to lead to early releases for for criminals or, or sorry yeah i guess criminals uh, mm-hmm. as yeah as long as they're uh, it doesn't involve gun crimes. She kind of ruled that out. Oh, well, that that that's good. That'll so be yeah, excellent. so they're sort of expanding, yeah, expanding the program that lets people qualify mm. for uh, these sort of temporary release agreements, and then also basically anyone that's on these temporary release agreements may or it seems like are just going to be able to be done with the jail system. So. They're not really advertising this massively, but it seems like they're making some steps in towards a direction um of getting getting as people out of there. So uh that's jails.
0: Yeah, homeless like homeless shelters. I mean, I don't know there are there are solutions. I don't know I believe the city has begun renting hotels and setting up temp or at least setting up temporary sites. Um but yeah, I mean, it just, once again, like the, the crisis makes you reflect on how how do we treat people the rest of the time? How how do we regard human life and the lives of workers and you know and the lives of vulnerable populations most of the time?
2: So I think where things get really scary and, and we do have to, I think, go this way because because, of course, the biggest thing that the province of Ontario, um, you know, spends its money on and, and takes care of is our health care system uh, and our hospitals. And there are there is good reason to believe that that is going to be where this whole thing, you know, really falls apart. Ontario's hospitals are are overcrowded on a good day, but a, a study out of the University of Toronto from last week basically projected that we're going to run out of ICU beds and ventilators by the middle of April, even if the number of people getting the virus each day declines from what it is now. It's been, you know, the curve is not flattening at this time and and there's a big backlog of tests we're still waiting for results for so we are in this scenario where where the number of people that are getting it is increasing the number of people that are getting sick enough to have to go to the hospital is increasing Ontario is about 1700 ICU beds they said they have another 500 ventilators that the the PCs got a couple hundred out of storage and, and bought 300 more but at this point there's doesn't seem to be a lot of options for obtaining more. Um, you know, governments have lots of money at their disposal. But the problem is that there's a worldwide shortage of of ventilators and a bunch of other medical supplies that we're already falling short of. And yeah, money, money does not have the power, the value to buy something that, that doesn't exist. Ford has made a broad call to businesses, basically asking them to start manufacturing ventilators businesses in Ontario that is you know he says Ontario's manufacturing industry is you know capable of making anything at all is kind of how he's how he's phrased it but trying to get some of them to potentially turn auto parts lines into ventilator factories Um, apparently that GM is starting to do that somewhere in Indiana Whether or not that's actually going to be feasible in Ontario in any sort of, uh, you know, quick and nimble way is really, I think, up in the air. There's issues with patents and designs for these ventilators, you know. There's um, issues with supply chains. I guess ventilators have many different little moving parts in them, and it seems like that's what we're going to need, and and, and will that save us, I guess, is the question.
0: What is the better option?
2: I don't know if there is one. I just... uh, I don't, I don't disagree with, with him asking for this. I think asking is a good first step. The federal government's kind of is doing the same, but at the same time, Ford said on the weekend that U.S. companies have already stopped shipping some su- medical supplies to Canada, including Tyvek suits, which are kind of protective wear that, that healthcare workers could cover themselves in when they're dealing with a sick patient. We can't get any more of those. And of course, uh, I don't know how reusable they are, but probably not particularly if they're covered in um, virus. So I don't know, it's it's scary. And I don't know the answer um, as to whether we're going to be able to do that. I mean, we have craft distillers making hand sanitizer, which is a good mm-hmm. thing. But I think there's a lot of things that are a lot harder to manufacture than hand sanitizer.
0: Mm hmm. Yeah, I don't think I have anything to add. Except, uh, as it turns out, medical equipment or medical type equipment is not super hard to make if you don't, you know, if you're not really hoping or trying or promising to make it well or properly. Uh, So Doug Ford's uh, eldest daughter, Krista, uh, runs a, a business, KH Customs, selling affordable competition suits and competition accessories for bodybuilding competitions. And she has, in the past week or so, introduced what she calls the Last Resort Face Mask. These are face masks made out of the material you would use for, uh, I guess, bodybuilding bikinis, since that's primarily what she she
2: makes. There's a wide range of patterns available. Leopard print, palm leaf print, camo.
0: And, you know, the disclaimer is pretty emphatic. Please note our masks are made with double-lined spandex, This material is not graded on the medical scale, and we do not know exactly or how much exactly this material blocks from any virus. These masks will not prevent catching or giving any illness and are not made to prevent any such illness slash virus slash disease. These masks are for last resort options or comfort purposes. That said, while they normally sell them for eight dollars if you're a medical professional, you can buy for $4. Frontline workers, including doctors slash nurses slash staff, PSWs, police, EMS, fire, and the like will receive 50% off their mask, up to two personal masks. That's a saving of $8. In the same size, please upload your government-issued ID for the discount. And the form has an option to upload a file of your government-issued ID to the premier's daughter for her body building bikini suit website uh, (laughs) whose material she has repurposed as as um as as non-medical grade face masks for any doctors who are lacking better options um and this is her efforts to accommodate all of which would be kind of frankly a sweet adorable because she's we kind of adorable. I know her effort to, to help her effort to help out, and I doubt if anyone takes her up on the offer that she would actually be profiting in any significant amount. I mean, they're you know eight dollars, but <laughs> oh, she just said her Instagram is private. <laughs> That's fun. Okay, uh, trying to let these screenshots load, but basically, um, all of which would be kind of sweet. If her Instagram page over the past couple weeks hadn't been full of coronavirus conspiracy theories, March 12th, which was I think th- th- Thursday, the same day that her dad, you know, made the error of telling people to go enjoy themselves on March break, she reposted a meme of you know coronavirus, a flu, not much more. One of the century's biggest stock grabs. The danger is slight to nil. The reaction is absolutely absurd, extreme, and hysterical. Look at these lemmings diving off the cliff, waved on by our leaders. Social media is a failed experiment that has rallied the incompetent and gullible masses into a controlling force, a turning point. She didn't write that. She just reposted it. But her comments throughout the thread uh, left zero doubt that it was reflective of her opinion. I mean, you even had people in the comments, some people asking, like, how does this square with what your dad's saying? And she basically said, well, I'm glad that we live in a free society and I have a right to my own opinion. I mean, But I mean, that's more than a little concerning. And it just, you know, as recently as a few days ago, she was writing things like, in response to comments, Thank you for your opinion. In my opinion, I wouldn't suggest getting your education from the news. I'd suggest not listening to the media at all, considering they're the ones causing the panic to begin with. In regards to the market, I would much prefer to see my fellow Canadians and Americans capitalizing on a gain rather than the Chinese government and the efforts they have taken to sink our economy, buy up even more of ours for dirt cheap while causing so much more destruction to the lives of so many. The lives lost due to this virus is tragic. Any life lost is tragic. The big picture has nothing to do with the virus. Do some back research to when this all began and what was going on at the time. Something is very fishy with the timing. Thanks for stopping by my page. I hope you have a great weekend, my friend. Yikes. <laughs> I mean, obviously, she is an adult. She is not her dad. But, I mean, these are the most pernicious types of posts of conspiracy theories, things that Instagram has actually been cracking down on. And... uh I think it's a mirror into sort of like what, what, what <laughs> it's a mirror it's kind of you look at it as a window into what, what, what were people fearing from Doug Ford? What would the worst case scenario have looked like if he had gone the full Trump route? And I think it gives a look into that. And, you know, thank goodness that uh, her dad has seemed to have at least temporarily outgrown his conspiracy theory phase.
2: I would like to recommend people do get their facts from the news. In the good news, my cat and I are getting to spend a lot of quality time together. Yes, and on a lighter note,
0: Uh, so we've been asked to think, well, what's something nice that's happened to us in the past bit? And I wouldn't say it so much happened to me as something I encountered, and it really has nothing to do with any of this, but I discovered there's an album that just came out on Friday called Losing My Mind, A Sondheim Disco Fever Dream, and it delivers exactly what it promises. When you're up high and you look below There's a place for
1: love.
0: At the world you've left and the things you know Somewhere. Little more than a glance is enough to show you just how small you
2: That was Wag the Doug, a podcast about cheetah print bikini face masks. Non-medical face masks.
0: I'm Jonathan Goldsby, and you can find me at home, under a blanket, or on Twitter at Goldsby.
2: I'm Allison Smith, and you can find me on Twitter at Queen's Park Today. Our producer is Kevin Sexton, and our theme song is by Nathan Burley.
0: This is our producer, Kevin Sexton's last episode, as uh, he's leaving Canada Land after several years, and moving to the Ottawa region, and lucky for him, movers are considered an essential service by the government. Our podcast is listener-supported. If you like it, please consider supporting us at patreon.com slash canadaland. Woo!